What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, I'm going to try and make it through. You can see seated, sorry. I'm going to try and make it through the next 45 minutes or whatever we've got. But I'm, I'm warning you right now, it's probably not going to happen. Because I have two passions in my life. Well, I've got a lot of passions in my life, but I've got two key passions in my life. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord and missions. Those are the two passions of my life. I exist. I live and breathe for those two. And so today, I've got the privilege of sharing both of them. But it may get nasty. I may start weeping. Stuff might come out of my nose. But it's okay. All right? I know there's a camera here as well, but it's also okay. Because I'm not embarrassed, so please you don't be embarrassed, okay? First, we're going to just worship together. Thank you, worship team. I want us to worship, really worship. Can we enter in? Look, today is the reason we all sit in this room today. Today we celebrate when Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, rose from the dead. And he took captive sin and death itself. This is it. History changed on that morning, never to be the same again. So when do we believe it? Is that what drives you when you wake up in the morning? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This is one of my favorite worship songs. So let's enter in. I gotta remember to switch my mic off.
be seated. Okay. Making sure I've got my mic on. You didn't want to hear me sing, promise you. Is that exciting? Don't you get stirred? I get so stirred when I hear that song. Forever he is glorified. Forever he is risen high. For he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Let me take you back to that day. Let me take you back a few days early. Jesus is with his disciples. He says, tonight. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not meant to walk outside that to that, right? Sorry, guys. Okay. I get, I get, I get so excited when I start talking about this. Okay. So, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to meet. And you're going to find this room. And you're going to find the colt and the donkey. And you're going to find this room. We're going to meet in the upper room for Pesach dinner, which is Passover. And they would have met many times before for Passover, right? At least three other times, or two other times. So they were used to it. This was going to be the Passover meal together. Jesus with his most intimate friends, his apostles, his disciples, those that followed him everywhere, those that slept with him. Oh, I wish I could have been there for that. They were there that talked around the campfire. Can you imagine that? Oh, Jesus, thank you. And so he was there with his, his most intimate friends, and they came in, but something was different that night. There was something that was different that night. Yes. Move it out. Okay, sorry. I'm not used to preaching. They don't have things like this in Africa. In Africa, you just shout real loud. You can see I'm, I'm able to do that, right? Okay, sorry. So, they come in, and what does Jesus do? He's the master. He's the rabbi. He removes his outer garments and he kneels at their feet and he washes their feet of all the dust of the roads. This was the job of the lowliest of servants in the household. And yet he washed, the master, uh, he washed his disciples' feet. The thing that really just impacts me in that he washed Judas Iscariot's feet the one who was going to betray him. He came before and gently scrubbed his feet. 
I'm trying, I'm trying. And gently scrubbed his feet. And then they ate together. And then halfway through the meal, that was the Passover meal. If any of you had Passover, there's various cups and everything that goes around. And so first he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples and says, take this and eat from it. This is my body that is broken for you. Imagine his disciples say, what is he talking about? And then he takes the cup. It happened to be the cup of redemption in the Pesach meal. He takes the cup of redemption and he gives it to his disciples. He says, take, drink from this. This is my blood, the new covenant. Do this in memory of me, that your sins may be forgiven. Sorry, I left that part out. So he, they take the cup of redemption, they eat it, and then they go out and they walk to their favorite prayer spot, the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they go up the hill to garden, and one of them just tails away. Judas Iscariot goes to do his work. And they go into the garden, and in the garden, Jesus calls them, let's pray. We need to stand together and pray. They didn't know what they were praying for. They don't know that that very night, the Jews were going to arrest Jesus. So they fell asleep as Jesus prayed, as he cried out to the Father, as blood came from his pores of his skin on his forehead, as he cried out, Father, if you can remove this cup from me, but thy will be done. You see, that was the humanity of Christ. You see, God was, Jesus was all man, wasn't he? And all God. So he felt things. He experienced things, temptation, trials. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He experienced emotions. And he experienced the fear of what was to come in his humanity. But in his deity, he knew that this was the plan that had been laid from before the foundation of the world. The plan had been laid that would bring about the glorious appearance of the Savior. And so, then as he's praying and then he goes and his disciples are asleep, he says, come, wake up. It's time. It's time. And the, crowd, the group comes, led by the temple guards, and they roughly take him. And of course, Peter, in his exuberance, pulls his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Jesus says, no, no, no. This is not the way of the cross. This is not the way of Christ. You know, sometimes we want to just get, I'll smack you. That's not the way of the cross. So Jesus heals the servant's ear. And off they take him, they drag him into the courts of the Sanhedrin, where Caiaphas, the high priest, the elders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes are there. And they say, who do you think you are? Do you think you're the Son of God? And Jesus is silent. But eventually he says, he has come down from heaven for that purpose. And the high priest says, blasphemy, blasphemy. He rips his clothes. And the crowd surrounds Jesus. They begin to spit on him. They slap him. And they grab him and roughly take him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator. Pontius Pilate receives him and starts to question him. And he says, I don't find a capital offense here. And so he hears that King Herod of Antipas is in town. She thinks, oh, good idea. Herod rules over Galilee where this Jesus comes from. Let me send it to him. Let, let him be his problem. So Jesus is dragged off to in front of King Herod and his soldiers. And King Herod mocks him and says, oh, I've been waiting for you. Perform a miracle for me. Ha, 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 ha. Jesus refused to even speak. 
And so the soldiers begin to smash him, throw him around, beat him. And then he's taken back to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate once again says, I don't find fault in this man. And they say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pontius Pilate washes his hands of the guilt. That guilt remained with him until his death. But he washed his hands and the Roman soldiers took Jesus. They tied him to a cross, I mean they tied him to a pole and they wrapped him around the pole. They stripped off his clothes and they took a flagum. And a flagum is a lash made of leather and in it is embedded bones and, and steel and, and metal. And they went, and every strike of the flogging would embed into his skin and rip his back. This, this wasn't just bang, bang, bang on the back. He was flogged to the point of death. To the point of death and yet never cried out. To the point of death. And Mary, his mother, looked on. Can you imagine what it was like? Can you imagine your son or your daughter being ripped apart by this flagum? And so they took him, and the soldiers took him inside, and they took off whatever clothes he had left on, and they put on him a purple robe, and they jammed it onto where his skin had been opened up all over. They jammed the robe on him. Then they took a crown of, crown of thorns, and they jammed it on his head. They gave him a reed as a sepulcher. I mean, sorry, a scepter. They put it on his, in his head. And they gave it to him. And they said, Oh, King of Israel. And they spat on him. And they beat him. Then they took a robe off. They put the hundred pound crossbeam of rough, rough wood on his back. Stripped by the flogging. Jammed it on his back. And our Lord. Our Savior started to walk those two and a half miles up Golgotha's hill. Through the streets, the Via della Rosa, the streets of Jerusalem, half in death, half out of death. And he fell three times, he fell, collapsed on the ground, and they would beat him until he rose again. Then the third time, they saw that he wouldn't make it. So they called Simon of Cyrene. Come here, you, you, come here. Take the crossbeam. And so Simon took the crossbeam, and Jesus continued on the journey up the hill that we call Calvary. Calvary is Latin for skull. Up the hill of the skull. And there they nailed him to a cross. They took spikes they took his wrists and they nailed the spikes through his wrists. Boom! Boom! Excruciating pain while his back that's ripped apart is rubbing against the wood at the back. He almost passing out as every nerve in his body screams. They do it to the other wrist. Boom! Boom! Then they take his ankles and cross them. Take a spike, put it through his ankles. Boom. Boom. And they raise him up. Crucifixion is a particularly nasty death. Invented by the Romans. Even though it prophesied in David in the Psalms. Psalm 22. So, the way the crucifixion works to death is that you are normally tied up on the cross. And you have to hold yourself up. Because if you sag, you can't breathe. So you have to pull yourself up. For three hours, Jesus hung on that cross. Just like that. Flirting with death. 
moments away from death, and yet staying on that cross to take the sins of many, of you and I. And he hung on that cross until 12 o'clock, and then suddenly darkness covered the land. People couldn't understand. There's no, is it an eclipse? What is it? It's dark. And in the darkness, we believe that the sin, past, present, and future of man, was laid upon our Savior as he struggled to survive the next three hours. And then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, Sabatani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you turned your face from me? That was his humanity. He couldn't sense the presence of God anymore because God cannot be near sin. He can't look upon sin. Sin. Jesus was also referencing the 22nd Psalm. You know, in the Old Testament or the book of the Jewish Bible, they didn't have books of the Bible, chapter, verse. They had scrolls. There was no chapters, no verses. The only way you reference the scripture was by speaking the first line of that paragraph or that psalm. So Jesus, when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's referencing Psalm 22, which is the, that's the first verse of Psalm 22. He was referencing to the people. David, King David, prophesied this very time. And in that psalm, you can see the crucifixion. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Go to Isaiah 52, 53. Read about the crucifixion. It was written about 900 years before it happened. Oh, we serve a mighty God. He tells us the beginning from the end. We serve the only God that prophesies the future perfectly. And so Jesus then rises up one more time, takes the last breath and says, It is finished. And the Spirit left him to rejoin his Father. Jesus, our Savior, died on that cross. But when he died, there was a great earthquake. Stones, large boulders were just cracked apart. Tombs were opened. And in the temple, have you ever wondered where the high priests and all these guys were at the end? They're never mentioned at the end, are they, of the story. They're there in the beginning, mocking Jesus. Hey, if you're the Son of God, come on down. But they're not there at the end because they had to go back to the temple. Because at 3 o'clock, the lambs of the Passover were slaughtered in the temple. At three o'clock, Jesus said, It is finished. The ultimate sacrifice had died just as the lambs were dying in the temple. At the same time as all the priests were doing their business, they they experienced the earthquake, and suddenly they saw in the Holy of Holies, this massive curtain was ripped apart from the top to the bottom. Because Jesus had made access into the Holy of Holies. Hallelujah. 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 But that was just the beginning. That's not the end of the story. A rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, came and he took Jesus' body down after asking for it for Pontius Pilate. He wrapped it in, in a beautiful silk and he buried Jesus in his own grave to fulfill the scripture said he was killed. He was killed with the 
sinners and he was buried with a rich man. It was a rich man's grave that he, he went into. And they rolled a massive stone. They say they estimated to be two tons. They rolled down. It rolls down a little hill and seals the opening. But that's still not the end of the story. Because on the first day of the week, Sunday, before the sun had risen, the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and he rolled back the stone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and Mary came there, Mary of Magdalene, and uh, Mary, the mother of James the Lesser, and Salome came there and they saw the angel and the angel said to them, who are you looking for? Jesus is not among the dead, for he has risen. Just as he said he would. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. You know, did you know that that's one of the most provable facts in ancient times? More provable than there even was a Julius Caesar. Okay. Many times, your faith relies on that. It's a fact. Think, and I, I'm not going to go into it now. The, I can go into the internal evidence, the external evidence, and all those good things in my apologetics class. But we're going to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. But that's not the end. Okay, let's go to that. You see, Jesus walked on this earth for 40 days after the resurrection before he ascended into heaven, back to the glory of heaven, didn't he? That 40 days is probably one of the least discussed periods of time in the Bible. But it was an incredibly important time. And I believe that there were three major reasons that there are those 40 days. Why didn't Jesus just resurrect into heaven? It seemed like logical. Those 40 days, he proved that he was alive. It says in the Bible there were over 500 people that saw Jesus alive. And Paul says many of them are alive today. So don't you think if it didn't happen, people would say they're liars Nobody doubts it. Nobody questioned it because it was a fact that he was seen alive. So he proved himself alive. And even more than that, he proved to his disciples that he was alive because he was going to transform to, th transform to them, transfer to them the gospel of the kingdom to go to the nations. He was going to take it. And they needed to know in the depth of their hearts that he had risen from the dead. Because it's on that basis that we go to the nations. And so, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he also taught his disciples about the kingdom of God and he directed them to their mission. It is written that the Messiah would be killed and rise from death on the third day. You saw these things happen. You are witnesses. You must go and tell people that they must change and turn to God, which will bring them His forgiveness. You must start from Jerusalem and tell this message in my name to the people of all nations. That's the mission statement. Jesus gives His disciples a mission. Next. Jesus says, but the Holy Spirit will come on you and give you power. You know, I, I meet a lot of people in, in the mission field. And they, say, they ask me, do you think the gifts are for today? I say, come with me to the villages. I'll show you what's for today. You see, we're given power to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit power is what enables us. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem 
until the promise comes. Next slide. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Are you waiting for Jesus to come back? We better preach to all the nations. That means every ethnic group. There are, even today, 4,000 ethnic groups that have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The end will only come when every ethnic group, every tongue, every tribe, every nation knows Jesus. And we have the responsibility, church. It starts here. It starts in our neighborhoods. It starts in Florida. It starts in America. It starts in the world. It starts in every single man, woman, and child. Okay, and this is really how we get into missions. <laughs> this is the transition. In 2005, Roseanne and I and our son Joshua traveled throughout southern Africa asking the Lord, what do you want us to do? How can we be part of your kingdom advancement? And he gave us a vision for Livingston Mission Center while we were in Livingston, Zambia. Uh, that was 2006. Okay, next slide. Okay, so we're, we're right now... Our base camp is in Kazangula, Zambia, which is about 50 miles upriver from the Victoria Falls. I'm just trying to give you some perspective. There it is there where the red arrow goes. Where the base camp is is where four nations come together. Angola, uh, sorry, not Angola. Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Namibia. We believe that's prophetic. We got given that land. I had no idea where Kazangula was until we got given that land. And if you get it, could get up high enough on our property, you could see four nations. Is that prophetic? Yeah. Okay, next slide. I'm just going to go real quickly through this. Uh, these are safari guest tents, so if you ever want to come, that's where you'll stay. There are beds inside. That's the toilet over there. Everything's great. Okay, this is the campsite kitchen. You've got to have a campsite kitchen. That's the first thing we built over there. Next. That's the prayer garden. You've got to have a prayer garden. Because everything starts and finishes in prayer. And that's the prayer garden. That's sunset at the base camp. There's Roseanne looking at the sunset at the base camp. You've never seen a sunset like you see a sunset in Africa, I promise you. If you come there, you'll be blown away. Some of you have come and have seen it. You'll never see a night sky like you see in Kazangula, Zambia. It's like a canopy. It's the canopy of God. We also grow a lot of different crops because we have... Uh, uh, agricultural training ministry so we try to see what grows best in that environment in that soil and, and we have papaya trees pineapple bushes and many others next uh, that's our base camp managers uh, Dan and Audrey they're former 40-year uh, missionaries uh, from Zambia and they look after the base camp 12 months a year Roseanne and I are only there for three months a year because we are working at Urban Youth Impact <laughs> the other rest of the time that's our home and now that's that is a fancy tent. This is not your like, standard tent, okay? In the back is a full-on bathroom with a bath. Roseanne likes to bath, so we had to have a bath. That's headquarters. The ministry is run from there. I know it's not fancy, but that's where it's run from. Next, what do we do? Predominantly, our ministry is to train and mentor indigenous rural church planters and evangelists into the rural areas where nobody else will go. You see, there's, there's great churches inside the cities and towns in Africa, just like there are all over the world. But you get outside into the rural villages, not so much. In fact, in some villages that you can go to and the kids will come out and they'll try to rub your skin like this, to see if you've got black skin underneath. Why is your skin all white? Because I got white hair as well, it's even worse. This is our training tent. Very fancy, no air conditioning. Nice breeze though. Nice breeze comes through there. Next, this is one of our classes. We only take seven at a time so that they can travel into the villages with us. By four-wheel drive, everything's by four-wheel drive there. You can't get back into the villages without four-wheel drive. So they come, it's, it's a one-month base uh, boot camp. 
There's two of them we run every year. So we're training just 14 people a year. But those 14 evangelists and church planners are disciples. Okay, we, we, it's not good enough just to send people out, just go out, go out. We pour out into them. We always joke, we have, we have they call everyone Papa and Mama. So we're Papa and Mama. We've got all these kids, Papa and Mama. They're all over the place, all over Africa, Papa and Mama. And now the next generation is coming to be trained. So now I'm Grandpa and Mama. mama they don't call her Grandma, they know better than that. Okay, so... So we do uh, outreaches with the students at the end of the training. It's a month-long training. Last f week, they go on an outreach. They go out and do what we've trained them to do. Go into the villages under the auspices of our uh, lead evangelist, uh, Finn Kondowe. And then they come back and they graduate. So those are some of the graduates that we've had. This is last year's. Okay, next. We also train and encourage local Zambian church. Look at the time. Zambian church uh, leadership. So we do a, a Cousin Gula Pastors Fellowship training. That's the local pastors come in. We train them. Next. And that we finish off with a volleyball game. You know why the volleyball game is important to training? Because then you find out who they really are. Have you ever seen bishops talking trash to each other at a volleyball game? And then we have to talk to them about loving one another. Love the brothers, right? Love the brethren. Okay, Next. We also run the uh, Red Facility tra uh, Training, which we train high school students, seniors, to go back into their high schools and to run the Red Tables. If you don't know what that is, ask me afterwards. Where they, of course, everything has a volleyball game to it. Next. That's uh, Rick Branson, if any of you know him. That's the tables that are run for the Red at the Cousin Gula High School. We also have two f uh, f train trainers that have training farms and then go in the villages to train them how to grow crops using farming God's way. That's uh, Pastor Felix Sabundi, the first two photos, left to, right, left to the middle. Um, and uh, Salumba uh, Kololuka, who is a graduate from two years ago school. And so they have training farms. This is a graduate from last year's school that was trained in farming uh, God's way by, those, uh, by Pastor Felix Sabundi. And he just experienced the largest crop he's ever had. He couldn't stop WhatsApping me and saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I said, believe it. <laughs> Next, we also have bridge schools for at-risk children. So I, I can't go into detail because we're really running out of time. But we have one in Kazangula. Most of these kids, their parents um, they are single moms. And many of them are in prostitution, because it's a border town. Uh, then we have Nguizi, we were just passed, which is a village where we started a school uh, five years ago, and Nakawa Farm, which is another school that we run. That's Peps, the headmaster. I love Peps' glasses. Um, okay, next. Youth sports, we do a lot of youth sports as well. It really brings kids together. This is a volleyball clinic that we did with uh, Chris, uh, Chris, with uh, Rick Branson, who used to be a um, a professional beach volleyball player. Uh, this is the Cousin Gula High School, first 11. Those uniforms were donated by my brother in Germany. I'll tell you more about that later. They, they won the chance. Okay, I'm going to tell you a quick story. We got, we got enough time. Quick story. Uh, Nakawa Lions of Junior Soccer Club. So, Salumba and Cynthia, who have Nakawa Farm, they have a school there, recognized that in the afternoons in all the surrounding villages, there were a lot of small kids and teenagers that were hanging around with nothing to do. How many of you know that if kids have nothing to do, it's going to be mischief, right? Yeah, don't, don't, don't look at me like that. You were all there when you were there, right? So anyway, so they said, let's start a soccer team. They brought them all together. They started training them. They thought they'd get it 20 or 30 kids. They got 56 kids or something. And so he built a little sand soccer pitch. Uh, they played there. This is what they play with. They have no, they have no boots. They have, uh, just what you see is what you get. Um, and so they were invited to play in the town in Livingston. It's 50 miles away. It's a proper town. It's a tourist town. And they went like that. And they came to the stadium. They'd never seen a soccer stadium before. They'd never seen grass before. And so they were looking at the team, the, the local uh, Livingston team that came out. They were all dressed in uniform with cleats and everything. And they were coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stretch. And they were like, whoa, what's that? So their eyes are like this. 
So Salimbus told me later, they, he said, they lost that game long before they got out on that pitch. Because right? psychologically you were done. But the amazing thing was they held this team, which is a very good team, to 3-2. They lost 3-2. So one of the coaches, the town coaches said, where do you find these guys? They're very talented. They just need a little bit of, you know. So anyway, long story short, he's now the coach. And my brother, who, uh, who is, uh, lives in Germany with his wife, his son was, um, was one of the trainers at Bayern Munich soccer team. And they, he sent out five full uniform kits. So these kids have now got this with cleats and everything. They've got a trainer. That's the Nakawa Lions of Judah. Hallelujah. And they're now in the, in the league, and they're one of the top teams in the league. So we just say glory to God. That's the, that's the kind of cup. It's just so much fun. Next, we do village reaches, outreaches, and evangelism. You come, so you can just come out with us. We go out in the villages. Uh, that's uh, Rick Branson's wife there. This is, we, this is, we went house to hut to hut. We call hut to hut evangelism. We saw probably, conservatively, 30 or 40 people come to Christ. Just in a hut to hut evangelism. One time, one time. Next. Okay, testimony. I'm not going to give the testimonies. We can just go through that. All right, I, I, I've got to be sensitive to time. That's a witch doctor getting saved. I said I wasn't going to say that. Mooney's <laughs> uh, miracle is about a prostitute who comes to the Lord. Okay, I'm not going to say that. Okay, sorry, Pastor Chris. Okay, get, get right to the, the, to the last, second last, third last slide. Okay, there, stop. Okay. I'm not going to say anything about this because my wife knows I am the world's worst fundraiser. Okay? Don't put me to raise funds for anything because I'm, I just want to do God. I just want to do Jesus. I just want to go out there and do this stuff. I don't know. The money, that's God's problem. I shouldn't say God's problem, but that, that comes from God, right? Jehovah Jireh. I, I can't be out raising funds. I'm out, my wife and I are out doing the work of the ministry. So I'm not going to say anything. I am going to say thank you so much for, for listening. Hey, Will, go ahead and put up that next slide. Um, we have, <clears throat> so if you go to Bow Down Church, where does our name come from? It comes from uh, Abraham. The first time the word worship is used in the Bible, Abraham says to some of his his friends there, hey, my son and I, Isaac, we're going to go up to the mountain and we're going to worship the Lord. That's the first time the word worship is used. And so there is a, a thing in the Bible called the law of first mention. Basically, how a word is defined first, it's probably a good principle to define it like that. Now, listen, what was Abraham going to do? He was going to go sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the son of promise. Like, this was the 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 most treasured thing that he had, and he said, hey, I'm going to give it to the Lord because he believed God could raise him from the dead. That's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And by the way, that same word in Hebrew is translated 31 times, bow down, which is why we get our name, bow down. We don't want to just sing songs which are worship, but our worship should be a thing that costs us something. A thing that costs us something. You know, at Bow Down Church, I would take kids to other churches, and the offering would come by, and uh, they would say, hey, Mr. Chris, can I get a dollar so I can put it in the offering? No. That didn't cost you anything, so I'm not going to have you waste my money. What was the motive of that, right? I, 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 want, I want people to see, right? So, so listen, we don't want to give what doesn't cost anything. We don't want to just sing songs to God, and that's it. So today, if you are a member of Bow Down, if you're not, listen, this isn't for you. If it's your first time and your friend brought you, hey, our church never takes an offering, oh, they're not lying, we usually don't, but today we are. And the offering's not for us, it's for Africa. It's for what they're doing. He didn't have time to share about the witch doctor that came to Christ. He didn't have time to share about the woman who was prostituting herself to take care of her children so that her children could have an education. And she came to Christ, 
and her life was changed, and she was reconnected with her kids. He didn't have time to share all of that, but God is doing amazing things there. And so some of you can just right now just kind of stroke a check for that. And you could say, Happy Easter to Livingston Mission. Nothing's going to go to bow down today, by the way. We're not taking an offering. So technically, your friend didn't lie to you. We're still not taking an offering because <laughs> nothing's going to go to bow down. But here's what I want you to pray about, church. I want you to pray about, man, could I become a monthly supporter of Livingston Ministry? And so, Will, if you can put up their email address, I'd like you to go there now um, and email David. And I'd like you to do two things. David, you know what? Uh, I don't want to give. I don't feel led to give. That's okay. But I will commit to pray for you. Send him an email. Encourage him. All right? Go ahead and get out your phones. Usually we tell you not to do that in church. Email him. The second thing I want you to do is pray about, God, do you want me to support this ministry in any way? I just don't want to sing songs to you. I, I, I really want to be a person that worships. Maybe it's just $5 a month for the next year. Maybe it's just $10 a month for the next year. Do you know, like, like, you know, on a weekend, we'll have about 300, it doesn't look like it this morning, but we have about 350 people that come uh, to both services. Can you imagine if their monthly budget just went up because everybody in our church gave 10 bucks a month? See, that's, that's the beauty of the widow mite offering. That when we come together as a church, again, nothing's going to bow down. 100% is going to go to them because I'm sending you to their website, not mine. In fact, today, Bow Down Church is going to lose money, all right? Usually, Easter churches do pretty good. Today, we're going to lose money. I want to lose money for the sake of the kingdom of God because it's not about Bow Down. Does that make sense? And I'm also going to do this with you, which Jesus tells us not to do. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let anybody see your giving. Don't let it be public because if you give in public, then you've got your full reward, the public gift of giving. You get nothing on the other side. That's why we don't pass the plate here at Bow Down, by the way, because we don't want our left hand to know what our right hand is doing. We want our giving to be in secret. But I feel led to say, you know what? My wife and I have decided that we're going to give 100 bucks a month to Livingston Mission because we believe in this ministry, and I want to challenge you to do the same. Now, Chris, you just lost your reward in heaven. I know. Sometimes you have to be an example to the flock of God. And sometimes it's worth losing it on the other side. Hey, if I can come sleep on your couch in heaven, okay? So I might not have one. I might have just lost it. I'm just kidding. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I want to challenge you, church, that this kingdom, it's so worthy. And what God is doing there is so amazing. Let this be your resurrection gift to our great king that we would bless and support this ministry. I'll leave that between you and the Lord. Worship team, if we can come. Prayer partners, if you can come forward. We are going to sing to our God who has defeated death. He is alive. He is ruling and he is reigning. And so, Father, we just turn our hearts to you now. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the king. I pray, God, if there is anybody that's here today who hasn't come to the place where they've surrendered their life to you today, I pray that they would do it. We pray, God, just against the assignments of the enemy that's over people's lives, and I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus, that when we see the blood that was spilled on the cross, that your body was broken, that you were died, you, you were buried, and you were there for three days, but on the third day, you rose again. God, you want to, to come alive in our lives, God, leading us as the resurrection and the life, and I pray, God, that as a church, we would begin to follow you and live like you are alive. Help us, God, to be a people that bring the good news of the kingdom of God, that we would shine as the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, so that we would do what you have called us to do in such a way that brings you glory, God. It's to your name. Holy Spirit, come and fall upon us. Revive our hearts towards you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus, 
for defeating death so that we look forward to death because of the resurrection we'll never die we can't wait to be with you in heaven forever help us to sing now God because you are worthy you are worthy we ask this in Christ's name Amen thanks for visiting us today Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.